Something is stirring. Maybe you've felt it. We are reckoning with the reality of injustice and binary thinking that feeds the political machine. Humanity is in the midst of a heartbreaking and painful paradigm shift. That is a good thing. My name is Lola Wright, and this is Find Your Fierce and Loving. This podcast is intended to help you disrupt untangle, and free your mind of personal and collective agreements, patterns, and beliefs that are holding you back and weighing you down. We desperately need your fierce and loving purpose now more than ever. I led a community in Chicago known as Bodhi Center for many years, It's also the place that I met my husband at in 2007. It was an incredibly powerful and potent community that I will be forever grateful for. A couple of years ago, I led a series based on Eckhart Tolle's book, Stillness Speaks. Today's episode of the podcast is from one of those evenings. It was called The Evening Wake Up. You're going to hear about the egoic mind and the trappings when we get over-identified with our thinking capacity, with our limited sense of self, and with our judgments. Enjoy. So welcome to The Evening Wake Up. And the inspiration for this gathering is the book Stillness Speaks by Eckhart Tolle. We're going to explore... Um, a chapter called The Egoic Self. And I just want to make reference to the opening of that chapter and the closing of that chapter. So the opening of the, this chapter says, the mind is incessantly looking not only for food for thought. It is looking for food for its identity, its sense of self. This is how the ego comes into existence and continuously recreates itself. It's looking to make sense of what's occurring. And he goes on to say in this chapter that the ego finds its existence through thought. Don't take your thoughts so seriously. You know, that was, that's really the invitation because it is the thinking mind that will have us spin out. And it's not that the thinking mind ever goes away in my experience. It's just we become uh, more capable of witnessing it and realizing that's not who I am. It's just something that occurs. So at the end of this chapter, he makes reference to a Buddhist master who says, no self, no problem. (laughs) And I think that's really sort of the essence. It is in the separate sense of self that the experience of problems arise. When we believe ourselves to be separate, which is the very purpose of the ego, to protect, to defend, and to thwart off all threat. And when we are identified with the ego mind, the ego self, we have an experience of suffering. The practice for me is the ability to watch, to witness, to notice. Uh, I am on a 21-day journey to have physical activity every day for 21 days in an intentional way, not like 
walking from my desk chair to the kitchen. Yeah? So I just said I'm going to, I have a 10 punch pass at my local yoga studio, and I'm going to commit to doing these yoga classes. And I ha- my mind has all kinds of reasons why this is a problem. You know, 6 o'clock, it's too late. I'd rather be with my son. Uh, noon, I have to take a shower by noon. Okay, great. So 6 o'clock, well, you know, I actually have the luxury of usually waking up to a cup of coffee delivered to me in bed by my husband. So 6 o'clock, I miss that whole gig. Lots of reasons. And I just said, I got to do it at 6. Number one, at 6 o'clock, as I said to Amira, who's been a yogi for two decades, (laughs) it's 60 minutes instead of any other time of the day when it's 75 minutes. So I play with the mind, and I go, I'm smart. 60 minutes is better than 75. I'll take the 6 a.m. This morning I woke up at 4.55, and which my body actually wakes up early naturally. I just sometimes pretend that I'm asleep until the coffee arrives, you know. I woke up at 4.55, and I thought, well, this is sort of nice. I have an hour until I have to leave, and so I could actually go make my own coffee and actually do a meditation, et cetera, et cetera. So I had um, two cups of coffee, and uh, I have not been a yogi for 20 years, so having two cups of coffee and not eating before a yoga class is not recommended. And uh, what occurred by about minute 45 was uh, I was not feeling well. The, uh, I'm a, the story I'm making up is the acid from the coffee was, was not friendly to my body after a very rigorous yoga practice. Well, at minute 45, the world started to look very bleak. My mind just started going. It was like, everything's falling apart. This whole life is falling apart. This place is falling apart. I am falling apart. By 7.05, several text messages had been sent out about how bad the situation was. I drove home, and I had a glass of water and two pieces of toast, and an apple, and it was the oddest thing. All of a sudden, it was not so bad. And it was such a humorous experience for me that in a matter of 20 minutes, a shift like that could occur. All that is is the mind. And in those 30 minutes, from 6.45 to 7.20, I was entranced by the seduction of the mind. And you hope that when you send those texts to your friends that they do not buy into your story (laughs) with you. So he speaks to something about this. What will be left of all the fearing and wanting associated with your problematic life situation that every day takes up most of your attention? A dash, one or two inches long between the date of birth and date of death on your gravestone. To the egoic self, this is a depressing thought. To you, it is liberating. Mm -hmm. So the distinction between my essence and my ego is one experiences the conditions of the world as a threat, and the other occurs like, here we are. That's occurring. 
But when we are in the trance of our mind, it's very difficult to see that. I think that most of us are walking on the planet with a highly constructed egoic identity. And it is the source of much of our suffering because we are just one ego construct bumping up against another. And when we do not have a cultivated sense of self-awareness, we don't have the ability to see that. It's just boom, 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 boom. It is like you and I are in a perpetual pinball machine, just getting beaten around because we don't have the discipline of the mind to go, ah, that's just occurring. Like, wouldn't it be lovely, and I have greater and greater access, and I suspect you do too because you're sitting here practicing, when I'm having that moment at 6.45 in the middle of a rigorous yoga practice after having two cups of coffee and nothing to eat, to go, it might just be that I'm having a physical sensation. And it might just be that I have a very low threshold for discomfort in my physical body. At which point, when it occurs, everything appears to be falling apart. And it could be nothing more than that. The challenge is when we don't have a practice in place to create the spaciousness between the stimulus and response, we don't get to 720 and start to deconstruct it. We actually go out into the world and we cut people off and we have upsetting interactions with colleagues and we say snide remarks to our partners. And so the practice for me is just How can I connect with my breath and how can I watch myself? How can I watch myself? The ego, in my experience, begins to loosen when I can watch it and not take my thoughts so seriously. When you recognize that there is a voice in your head that pretends to be you and never stops speaking, you are awakening out of your unconscious identification with the stream of thinking. When you notice that voice, you realize that who you are is not the voice, the thinker, but the one who is aware of it. Knowing yourself as the awareness behind the voice is freedom. So for me, the practice looks like fear is rising, it's showing up, And how can I just be with the fear without the need to respond or react? There are times where we need to respond and react. But much of our fear is contrived by our egoic self. Not infrequently, tribes, nations, and religions derive a strengthened sense of collective identity from having enemies. Who would the believer be without the unbeliever? The ego is always looking for contrast. It's always looking for duality. It's always looking for good, bad, right, wrong. It's always measuring and comparing. Yeah? And so, you know, one of the great critiques of our current digital climate is that we're seeing just a veneer of something. And yet we're, our mind... Our neurology, we are hardwired to compare and contrast. It's our survival mechanism. And when we are not aware, when we can't witness it, it takes us out. So I just wonder if you could take a deep breath in this now moment 
and bring to your mind's eye a way that this gets activated in you. A way that this comparing mind, this tendency to contrast, can get amplified in you. And then you seek for evidence of it everywhere because your survival through the lens of the egoic self requires it. Our ability to see it is our ability to breathe through it and not take it so seriously. Your unhappiness ultimately arises not from the circumstances of your life, but from the conditioning of your mind. And so that is why we can have people like Ellie Weissel or Nelson Mandela or you know these iconic figures that have experienced atrocious conditions and yet realize that the greatest place of liberation is in the mind, not in the circumstances. So anything that any one of us are dealing with can be really given a little bit of spaciousness from, and a breath can occur there. Otherwise, we are just living in a triggered reactive state. You know, our media has figured this out, and it literally is a drug. It's literally like, let's just keep feeding this ego construct, this ego identity. And then we have, you know, Facebook rants and angry gas station interactions for no seeming reason. Literally, our central nervous system is inflamed and we have an over-identification with our ego construct. And then everything in life appears as a threat, even if it's subtle. Your unhappiness ultimately arises not from the circumstances of your life, but from the conditioning of your mind. Someone or something has occupancy over your mind. The question is, is it your conscious awareness or is it your unconscious states? All of us have been mobilized by our unconscious states, likely today. At some point today, we were all probably mobilized by an unconscious state. There's nothing wrong with that. The ability to, you know, scripturally it says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He actually makes reference to that in, the, in that chapter. Forgive yourself. It's just an unconscious part of me. You know, like if I were to get to 720 this morning and then beat the shit out of myself for spinning out in 20 minutes and texting three confidants, I've only actually deepened the commitment to my egoic construct. But if I wake up to my higher sense of self, it goes, oh, honey, you're scared. And you had acid in your stomach. (laughs) It's like, okay, I can be graceful with myself. That makes sense. That's okay. Forgive me, for I know not what I do. I had forgotten. I have forgotten. So that's really the invitation, is to really sit with a practice of noticing when I am living in the delusion of my egoic sense of self, 
or when I can just witness the egoic sense of self. You know, there's some schools of thought that spent a lot of time thinking that the game was about getting rid of the ego. I mean, that in and of itself is sort of a problematic setup because what it implies is that one thing is better than the other. Your ego serves you all the time. It's just about not living in the delusion of the ego. In other words, in a trap of fear. So that's what we gather to practice. And we get to rub up against human beings to notice all the places and spaces that we're still feeling unconscious within ourselves and in relationship to others. So um, we're going to, to sit with when you think about this, what comes up for you? Because this is really an opportunity to practice together, to map this on to our lives, not theoretically, but practically. How does the egoic self show up in your interactions? How does it take up occupancy and you become in a delusion about who you are? You want to be more alive. You want to unleash your inherent love and goodness, liberate yourself, and free humanity from the oppressive systems and structures we have created. We are here to support you in finding your fierce and loving life. Join us in our circle. This is an affirming and radical space that will gather weekly, on demand, or live, whatever works best for your life. For more information on how you can engage in our circle, visit lolawright.com forward slash our hyphen circle. I'd love to have you with us. The gift of the acid stomach this morning is to become aware, ah, that's not who I am. I now have a neural pathway. I have a reminder. I have a kinesthetic experience that when I have that happening in my physical body, I don't have to be taken out by it because I just had a new awareness. So when you think about how the egoic self can seduce you, what do you notice? How does that show up for you? Do you do you have a relationship with the ego that's like, damn this thing? <laughs> Or can you love that part of you and just go, oh, that's just a little scared part of me. That's okay. I don't get that like, oh, you're just, I get like pissed at it. Mm-hmm. It's like a little kid screaming in my house. And I'm like, stop. Like you annoy me, you little brat. You know, quit freaking me out. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I have this attachment like, it's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to keep scaring me. Like, you little monster, you, like, come in and go, boop, you know, and it, that's what it feels like. It, I'm like, I'm tired of it. Stop. I work hard on you going away. Yeah. And when they're there, it doesn't feel like, oh, poor little thing. It feels like, you just scared the crap out of me, and I didn't need that. I was doing just fine before you scared me, mm-hmm. right? I, so then I get a little bit, like, resentful towards it. Like, I'm a little, I, I, I'm a little mad at it. I'm like, I don't really want you to, you know. Yeah, so there actually is a way that you could respond by making it bigger, Right. So I would suggest like either see if you could befriend it. And if that's not what you're feeling, then really go big with it, because when you go big with it, when you exaggerate your response to it, you see the absurdity of it. It's when we try to self-manage 
that it sort of calcifies in our being. But you, when you can actually make it bigger and go, oh my gosh, what is happening right now over here on planet Anthony? And it's like, imagine your, your small child is learning how to ride a bike and they fall. You know, like you wouldn't beat the shit out of them. Or if you did, verbally, you'd go, what is really going on over here? And it's just, as Jim Dethman would say, we're toddling. We're just practicing. This is not the everyday conversation folks are having. How can I expand my capacity for self-awareness such that I may walk on the planet with greater ease and grace? That is not the predominant conversation. So you're already interrupting inertia on every level. That's really pretty, a pretty amazing act. The one thing that came to my mind as you were talking earlier was uh, another story that Eckhart tells about two monks. Mm. They're walking and they come to a big area of water. Some people know this. And there's a girl. And one of the monks mm-hmm. picks the girl up, carries her across the water. You're not supposed to do that when mm-hmm. you're a monk. And they continue on for about an hour, and they're not speaking. And finally, the monk that did not carry the girl turns and says, how could you have carried that girl across the water? And he said, you're still carrying her. I put her down an hour ago. <laughs> yes. And I think that idea of, of staying in something Way after it happened, yes. That's the that's the ego's need to stay in story. Yes. And I try to catch myself because I'm there all the time. I'm mm-hmm. in the story. <laughs> Even as we spoke the other day, I said I'm always trying to imagine enlightenment. Because <laughs> if you can imagine scenarios and imagine how you would handle them when you were enlightened, then maybe that will kind of seep into your actual life, <laughs> and then you'll respond correctly when something comes up that's that's where i'm at a lot Mm -hmm. i'm in my head like you said you're Mm -hmm. you're in your head a lot aren't you rich (laughs) yeah well and it's great to i actually think if you look at your you know this is we love the enneagram um and one of the things i think is so powerful about the enneagram is noticing your propensity for head heart or gut so like you actually don't even have to know your enneagram but you could just look at the way you move through the world. Do you tend to orient yourself around your head, your cognitive capacity? Do you tend to orient yourself around your heart, sort of always feeling? Mm -hmm. Or do you tend to orient yourself around your gut? Which is what I would suspect the three of us tend to do. (laughs) You know, and it's just great awareness because any of it can become amplified and overactivated. So I, coming off of that, I am always in my head and I always kind of, in this practice, try to think about, okay, how can I catch myself in the moments, you know, when these things happen or when I catch my, my well, and it shows up for me, the ego shows up for me as fear. So mm-hmm. when, I, when I get into those, that, that kind of like loop, I want to catch myself and I always get so frustrated because like at the end of the day when I'm decompressing and I'm like, Going over the day, I'm like, okay, I caught, I, 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 I see it after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I guess I'm, my question is, how do you catch yourself in the moment, mm-hmm. or or make reminders for yourself that this is not what's happening, or you know, this is a narrative. 
I, from in my experience, it's literally just micro practicing Practice. all the time. Like yeah. my practice is literally in every moment, to the extent that I'm consciously aware, is to notice my thoughts. What are the, I just literally am watching myself all the time, watching myself all the time, watching myself all the time. And if you do that when you're not in a triggered reactive state, mm-hmm. it's easier to have access to it when you are in a triggered reactive state. So, you know, like right now, we could all just check in and go, what's here now? How is the ego showing up now? If we weren't to make it wrong, just how is it showing up now? You know, like I have this thing that happens with these red lips where on the corners, it will get like a little buildup. And I'm like, Jesus, I wish someone would be like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's just the ego. Yeah. It's just like. It's, it's really invested in looking good. I, I do it with everybody. When I, I watch people, I observe people, I watch someone do something and I go, hmm, why did they do that? And I do the same thing with myself. I'll do something and go, hmm, why did I do that? So it's just practice. It's literally practice. When you're doing, like Lola was saying, when you're doing anything, anything, um, if you ever do something and you laugh at yourself, you, you catch yourself laughing at yourself and you're like, why did I think that? Or why did, you know, to just ask, ask yourself the questions when you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling. Why am I feeling that? Yeah, I think to, to befriend your internal dialogue is such a great gift. Yeah. Like your thinking mind is always going. And, you know, part of my, part of my, Uh, resistance with a lot of meditation practices is that it's like escapism as opposed to just like befriending what's here now. Like the mind is just going. And the paradox is the more you can watch the mind, actually the less it does just go. If you enjoyed this show and would like to receive new episodes as they're published, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. Your review helps others find this show. You can follow me at Lola P. Wright on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter and learn more about my work at lolawright.com. This episode was produced by Quinn Rose with theme music from independent music producer Trey Royal. And you hope that when you send those texts to your friends that they do not buy into your story (laughs) with you.